Welcome to Buildings and Beyond. The podcast that explores how we can create a more sustainable built environment. By focusing on efficiency, accessibility, and health. Hey guys, Alex Mirabli here, Buildings and Beyond producer and editor. On this episode of the podcast, Dylan Martello from the podcast team, who is also a senior building system consultant on the Passive House team, sits down with three others from Stephen Winter Associates to discuss their experience working in the field. Each coming from a slightly different perspective, the group shares some of their favorite stories from the field and describes some of the challenges they face when working with project teams who are working towards a building performance standard or certification. There are a lot of great takeaways from this episode, so if you're someone who works in the field or someone who is curious about what it's like to work in the field, this episode is for you. We have two quick announcements before we dive into the episode. First is some exciting news in industry education and training. Stephen Winter Associates, also known as SWA, is pleased to announce the release of SWA Academy, a user-paced learning platform that provides education for building design, construction, and operations professionals, as well as students. After providing decades of classroom and in-person training, SWA wanted to find a way to address one of the industry's greatest barriers, workforce development, by creating a more efficient and accessible option for training. SWA Academy's virtual trainings allow practitioners to take a deep dive into the industry's most innovative building principles and technologies, all from the convenience of their home or office. They do this while earning continuing education credits, and courses can be customized to fit your organization's education and onboarding needs. Visit swinter.com training to learn more, and be sure to tell us what content you would like to see become available in the future. Again, swinter.com training. Next, SWA is a proud sponsor of the P3 Higher Education Summit, taking place on October 3rd and 4th in Washington, D.C. The summit examines campus infrastructure challenges faced by colleges and universities nationwide, and how new approaches to procurement, risk planning, and asset management are helping campus planners and facility managers deliver critical projects nationwide. Join over 600 college and university representatives, developers, and design-build professionals for two days of project delivery discussions and networking. Check out p3highereducation.com to learn more about the summit and to register. Opportunities for sponsorship are still available. Register today with code SWINTER for $100 off your registration. That's SWINTER, all caps, all together, for $100 off your registration. As I mentioned, each guest comes from a slightly different perspective with regards to their field duties, but they're all working towards the same goal. The guests for this episode are Jenny Powell, who is a building systems director on the commissioning team based out of SWA's New York City office, Joe Andraccio, who is a senior mechanical engineer working primarily on green building certifications out of SWA's DC office, and Michael Schmidt, who is a building systems consultant on SWA's passive house team based in New York City. Dylan starts off the episode by asking each guest what they are primarily looking for while conducting inspections in the field. Mike, I'll start with you. Do you work, when you're on a construction site, are you inspecting more of the architectural features of the building and the the sort of the walls and the windows and roofs? Are you looking at the systems, like the heating and cooling systems, the ventilation systems? Like what, what perspective are you specifically looking at when you're on site? Yeah, no, that's a great question, Dylan. I, you know, I think we we really do end up wearing a lot of hats and, and getting our hands in, into a lot of different uh, aspects of any project. Honestly, it, it really is a holistic approach. Yeah. So, you know, we're we're doing envelope inspections and reviewing air barrier air barrier continuity, continuity uh, and also you know insulation and um, you know those those things you had mentioned uh, walls, roof connections, those sorts of details. Uh, so that's on the architectural side, and then mm-hmm. we also end up getting involved with um, you know the MEPs uh, both during 
during construction when when uh, they're just roughed in and we're, we're just seeing you know the bare bones of the building um, and then you know through um, you know the, the project's completion and, and eventually commissioning with uh, with Jenny's team uh, we end up we end up following the project you know sort of from start to, to finish and uh, there's sort of a pass off between us and Jenny uh, at the end of the day so got it so that's a wonderful segue Jenny. <laughs> I think Mike, yeah, maybe Mike nice was... plug uh, there. Yeah, exactly. I know you're on the commissioning <laughs> side of things. So uh, maybe can you just talk a little bit about like, um, you know, that's mostly I think systems focused, but maybe elaborate a little bit on that. Yeah. So we mostly focus on MEP equipment. So HVAC, domestic hot water, and on the electrical side, pretty much lighting controls. Um, but yeah, as, as Mike said, we mostly come in towards the end of the project when it's traded off from either uh, our passive house service, a green raider service. Um, and we spend days testing the MEP equipment to make sure that it's operating properly. So we're on site with contractors and the contractors are running through the tests that we have developed to ensure that the building meets energy code in addition to how the owner originally uh, envisioned the project. Gotcha. Yeah, it's an interesting to hear sort of like the transition between looking at all of the 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 pieces of equipment and uh, materials that go into prepping the mechanical systems and and the 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 various quality control that goes into the prep side of things versus like when okay the fans are in the heating and cooling systems in we got to run this stuff we got to get this stuff up and running I think that's a really interesting perspective so. Um, yeah, and then Joe, are you looking at kind of like a bigger picture, all encompassing, or do you focus more on one or the other in terms of like architectural or mechanical systems? Yeah, so with the green programs that we work with, that's kind of the majority of my work, and that covers a lot of different programs. You know, mostly our bread and butter is, is in DC is kind of like lead, right? It's specifically lead for homes and a lot of mid rise. Those are larger commercial style buildings, but a lot of residential systems in there if they're doing individual systems. Um, but we work with Energy Star, NGBS, Enterprise Green Communities. As Jenny mentioned, we've done uh, commissioning down here, um, code testing, which includes some blower door and some duct sometimes. I did some passive house testing in Philly. So it's, it's a lot of different programs, and that means there's a lot of different things potentially to look at. So we're talking about stuff with architecture, right? Energy Star goes into durability, goes into water management checklist stuff. So I want to make sure that the flashing at the brick is, is uh, like it. Uh, shows in the details on the plans and that they're not going to have water problems, right? There's full checklists to go through and then we do a plan review and kind of identify high importance items often specifically for the green programs and the credits and then sometimes just kind of best practice items that we want to make sure is actually happening on site and confirming that everything that was on the plans that should be installed is in fact installed. So you can call some of this, you know, Jenny can talk more about it, but you can call some of what we do commissioning for the envelope because we do look for right. the water management and the insulation quality and um, everything that goes into that, as well as doing some testing at final. But when Jenny talks about code level commissioning, it's much more in depth on how the systems actually work and going through the sequence of operations. We don't do as much of that with the green programs, though some of them do require some level of uh, commissioning on those central and common systems. Got it, got it. So I'm gonna maybe kick this off with a question. There's maybe two different buckets of situations where you have an ownership and a project 
team that maybe is committed to doing some level of performance because they want to versus some level of performance because they have to. So like maybe one way to think of this is like code level versus like doing something because the code requires it versus doing something because you genuinely care about the environment and care about lowering your energy usage. Jenny, would you say in your experience that your work is more geared towards project teams that are just doing what they have to do or do are they are they committed to going above and beyond and doing what you know is right to 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 sort of uh, achieve a higher level of efficiency? Yeah, so our base commissioning service is already above what energy code requires at okay, least uh, for here up here in New York City. We don't feel that if you just follow code, you're going to have the impact that we're looking to have. Um, we're definitely not just a check the boxes company. Um, and also working with building owners that really are interested in their building working at the end of the day and, and continuing to do so over the lifetime of the building is where we have a ton of impact. Of course, there are some uh, owners that are looking for straight energy code and we'll, we'll give them something, but it's energy code plus. <laughs> which is, so it's right. our interpretation of what base commissioning should be. Uh, so we do always say we, wanna, we want input on the design. Let's do a design review. Um, let's review submittals because that sets a project up for success ultimately, but it's not actually required by code. Got it, got it. So you're already setting the the client up for something above and beyond what's sort of minimally required for for code level and 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 you know sometimes it might be framed certain ways, whether it's like code energy code plus or or you know they're actually committed to like something like passive house, which Mike you work on more frequently. Um, it's it's interesting to see like the the perspective and like I know from my experience there is a tangible difference when you have a team and an owner that's committed to something because they want to do it and not because they have to do it and I, I I'd I'd be interested to kind of elaborate on that a little bit and hear maybe um, maybe Mike from your perspective uh, do you as someone who's in the field a lot can you get a feel or a sense if certain projects are smoother than others because of a certain commitment level from from an owner or or is it just pretty much construction sites across the board are the same <laughs> yeah that's a that's a great question Dylan I, I really do um, think that we do have some really great and committed uh, owners and not only that is the uh, many of our owners who are on this level of commitment uh, for passive house certification on their projects oftentimes at least at, at this point uh, this isn't their first rodeo They've done it yeah, before. Right. They've done. They've had a kickoff project that is, you know, been certified, and uh, I think that speaks volumes uh, that that we're having clients that are keep coming back uh, to Passive House as as setting the standard. You know, although it is the most rigorous energy efficiency standard out there right now, mm-hmm. um, I I think it's it's very insightful that these owners really care about energy savings and all of the various benefits, particularly revolving around health and uh, indoor air quality uh, in these projects. So. Uh, just to add one other point, I think you know many of our owners uh, also have um, 
some control over the construction. Uh, oftentimes, our, our developer can also be the builder. Uh, they're two separate entities, but they might be under the same name and, and work together and collaborate. So gotcha. we, we do see projects like that uh, throughout New York and, and uh, even now in, in Massachusetts where we have a developer who's also the builder. Um, this you know really improves their quality of construction and also uh, sort of has has been able to streamline their their um, you know getting their feet wet in passive house construction and and hopefully you know continuing to build passive for for the the rest of their projects so gotcha it really is always a mix because we have a lot of projects that like uh, you know best practices and going for passive house and stuff like that is often uh, an owner decision or a design team decision in DC a lot of our projects lead for homes are what you would consider code minimal because there's a green construction code you want to do green construction code as the prescriptive path you have to you know check box these 200 items or you do lead as your alternative compliance pathway so that discussion changes significantly with like okay we're code minimal now right we're doing lead because that's your code and that's a different discussion to have uh, even if the ownership and design team are really gung-ho about everything or they're not it's kind of like it brings everybody up to that part. And that's, you know, the industry and the market are changing where um, codes are up, getting updated and requirements in certain jurisdictions are getting more strict. And these things are now becoming kind of required. But when you I also think that uh, it really depends on all those different people that are involved. The owner could really want it. And then the design team kind of tamps them down. He's like, well, you don't want to, you know, or maybe the design team. We have a lot of architects that are like. They really want to do the right thing, and they start out with a project with all these high hopes and all these really interesting design features, and then the owner mm -hmm. says, well, we can't pay for all that, right? Or we'll say best practice would be X, Y, Z, and they say, well, we're not doing heat recovery because it's going to be too expensive, right? And in my marketplace, where I do a lot of work as the multifamily, that discussion for energy efficiency, as you mentioned, Dylan, is more difficult because if the owner has a 400-unit apartment building, that's a lot of energy that they're not paying for. So why should I pay for more efficient heat pumps right. in 400 units when I'm not reaping the benefits of that? Now the discussion changes with BAPS Building Energy Performance Standard and other um, programs and requirements like that, including New York, because now you have to look at the entire building energy use. So you know it changes it, but it comes down to everybody because we have a, a this new project uh, just got certified net zero energy ready home and they did a full PV offset. So they're net zero in DC. And um, you'd think they were on top of it. They do passive house in Pittsburgh. They do a lot of good stuff. They're serious about it from the start. Their plans look good. And then you get on site and the uh, HVAC contractor they hired, they weren't meeting their duck numbers by like a lot. And it was like, mm -hmm. you know, the GC was serious about it. The owner was serious about it. They have great design and they just weren't hitting it because of that one person on site that didn't take it seriously. So it really has to be everybody working together and coming together to make a difference. Now in Passive House, you have like the, the uh, Passive House builder certification, right? I worked on one project that had that and it was night and day. That guy was serious about it and he knew his stuff and it makes such a difference because he's cracking the whip at everybody and explaining everything and saying this is important and this is why and you're contracted to do X, Y, Z. And that completely changes every project. Some projects you have an excellent supervisor on site that you're working with that tells the subcontractors what to do and why and sometimes they don't really care and it's in one ear and out the other and you come on site the next day and the same thing's not there and you're like, why are you calling me for reinspection? It's everybody working together and even more so with passive house and strict items. So I'd like to ask a question and follow up to that. I think what you're alluding to, Joe, is sort of this approach of like 
figuring it out in the field and there's a level mm-hmm. to that and that level depends on how much coordination has been done up front in design maybe let's just go around the room here around the table the virtual table that exists between us and dc and new york <laughs> and all of the zoom interwebs um and just talk about how like how often and maybe like let's say you go visit a project 20 times throughout construction is that is that a, is that is that a lot for a typical project just real quick 20 times mike no i don't think that's a lot nope okay jenny is that for you no, or not you? for us either that's about no? average about average okay and then joe yeah, for multifamily building, you might go in twenty times just for just for rough inspections, but tw- twenty over the course of a multifamily project, absolutely easily. Okay, so out of the out of the twenty plus or so, how often are you there where a contractor says, you know, we had to do it a different way than what the plan showed or what the drawings shown? Doesn't have to be exact here, but maybe Mike, I, you 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 smiled and laughed right away. So <laughs> clearly, <laughs> there might be some instances. Is there is there a rough idea of how often you think this happens? Yeah, I would I would absolutely say more often than not. Um, I would say probably sixty five percent of the time. Sixty five percent. Wow, um, that's that's a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, you're converting a two D, a two dimensional drawing into a, a three dimensional building, and there's there's bound to be mm. conflicts and, and issues there. So, okay, that's really interesting. I was not expecting that high, but I was expecting a number, but not that high. Joe, I would say. I mean, I don't have, I, I don't know if I could put a percent to it, but what I will say is you don't come on site and they say, hey, Joe, I had to do it a different way, right? Ah, <laughs> you, yeah. You come on site and you point. go, whoa, that's not sealed. That's not, your air barrier is broken, right? Or uh, the back of the duct isn't sealed. Oh, well, you know, they put it up before they mastic, and now they can't reach behind there or something like that, right? Uh, so it's not, it's not, that would be awesome if every supervisor, right? <laughs> right. If, if every GC, I come on to sign, he goes, okay, here's the list of things we had to do differently, and here's how we figured out the solution. I've had like two people that have done that over the course of my long-ish <laughs> career, um, but Usually it's us finding something and then them saying, ooh, well, we can't do it as a planned state because of this bulkhead. We can't do it right. as a planned state because this guy has to get in before that guy or something like that. And then you're figuring it out on the go. Ultimately, it would be wonderful if that never happened because the plans were perfect. But everybody laughs if you've ever been on a construction site for any <laughs> amount of time. It just doesn't happen. Got it. Yeah, and I can't. I also don't know if I can put a percentage, but we definitely have this happen way more frequently than we we would like, where we have sequences for MEP equipment in design. Then we get a control submittal where it's copy-paste sequences from design into the control submittal. We show up on site with our test plans written against the control submittal and the design. We think everyone's on the same page. We show up on site, the controls contractor, mechanical contractor say, we didn't, we didn't use this to do our programming. Those aren't the sequences. We're like, well, you're now changing the design, the overall intent of the system, how the system is functioning. Like, that's the point of having drawings in a submittal. <laughs> we should have been having these conversations. Yeah. yeah, we should have been having these conversations earlier. If you're going to make a change, there is a construction process. You can submit an RFI. That's how it should work. Right. Um, right. So it, it happens way more often than than we would like. 
Yeah. When I got trained for commissioning and started going out and doing commissioning, we we called it kind of commissioning light for Lead for Homes. It wasn't quite as in-depth as uh, Jenny's team does. But absolutely, that was the biggest thing that threw me for a loop, right? I would, like, really concentrate and know this DOAS and how it was supposed to work and all the sequences and all the steps and everything, and then go out. And I'm like, okay, can we do this for the dehumidification? Oh, that it doesn't have – oh, they changed it. That sensor's gone. And you're going <laughs> – what? And it's just like, and it happens more often than not. It's just always a surprise. I was hoping, Jenny, you wouldn't say that because you guys have more communication for, for this type of thing, controls and everything, than we do, right? You have a bigger budget for that and, and concentrate on uh, earlier. You also see bigger, more complicated systems. But I was hoping you'd say it doesn't happen quite as much, but apparently it's the same thing. Well, if the control submittal has copy-paste sequences, we don't have a ton of comments. I mean, we ask... <laughs> Like what's going on, but uh, it's we have more conversation when there's actually changes to, between the design and the submittal, and that uh, fosters collaboration. We can work through things and testing is a breeze at that point. Um, but if it's copy paste and then it's ignored, the submittal is completely ignored in the field. It's a it's a different story. Yeah, that that's that's a very interesting and. I'll say sad reality to the situation in that, you know, there's a, there's sort of like a trust factor that shouldn't need to be built, but it kind of has to be in terms of like what is on paper versus what's on the field. And, and that's where I think this is, this is why we need to be on site because inevitably things change and things don't go through the, that formal process as much as maybe we would hope it would have to get, you know, if something got changed significantly, like you know, this sense, this humidity sensor was removed in this uh, DOAS system, and it was done for these reasons, and that's not communicated to the entire team. Well, like all this time and effort went into the design, <laughs> and that humidity <laughs> sensor is actually really important, and it may not be at the top of the minds of the people installing it that decided that that humidity sensor wasn't needed because they're not used to this certain type of construction, they're not used to like this high level of performance. Um, that, that element of, uh, sort of things changing without formal approvals and just, you know, actually communication just in general is what it comes down to is, you know, can be pretty detrimental to a project and, and end up costing an owner more to fix the problem that is now created because a certain situation was handled that way. Even um, when there's that formal process in place, that VE process, right, that value yeah. engineering process, yeah. sometimes we're not included. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. So we go yeah. through the full plan review, multi-plan reviews, and, da, 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 and talk to everybody on the design team and the MEP and the architect, and everything looks hunky-dory. They're going to pass everything. And then we get on site. Now, we usually do a trades training, right? We meet with the GC. We meet with all the subs at an early rough stage and try to go over all the important items to make sure they know their responsibilities and what needs to be done and that there's no big changes. But sometimes we find during that, you know, you can't go through every single point during that process. So, Right, right. When we have been involved in the VE process, it's so valuable. We're able to swap things out and save money, like take out what's maybe not super necessary and then mm -hmm. be able to put money towards where we think that it would save a ton of energy like don't VE your car dampers out because you're going to spend way more money on balancing yeah. and your system's going to be out of balance a couple years down the road um, or spend more money on controls um, I just wish we asked for every pro 
<laughs> we ask every project if we can be included, but uh, I think it's only happened once or twice. Yeah, it's pretty rare that we are included in the value engineering process from a pass-fouls team perspective. I think uh, part of it comes down to, and Mike, you were alluding to this, where when you have an owner that's been through this process before, it's more obvious to them that if we value engineer these certain things out, that's going to be a problem for pass-fouls. So we need to include them in these discussions. <laughs> but I think it's that, like, you know, the first-time clients and the first-time developers that maybe, um, or project teams in general that um, are used to the process of value engineering and the, 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 the cost benefit that provides to the client, but aren't used to that process and its implications when a higher level of efficiency needs to be maintained. Dylan, you also touched on something that makes a huge difference when you said working with an owner more than once and they kind of know the process. Boy, working with a GC that, you know, they're coming from code yeah. construction and then you have to teach them how to actually do all these things and all the subcontractors that have been doing, like we said, the same thing for so many years and you have to say, no, this is how you seal the ducts. You have to get up and seal the corners or, you know, and you go through this long process of like pre-testing and showing them that the smoke leaks and everything, right? Or someone that's never installed grade one insulation. And then the next project you're with them, they make eye contact with you at the trade train. They're like, okay, I know what project this kind of project this is going to be understood, yep. right? And it makes a huge difference. Yeah. We've had, we've had problems though with like A teams and B teams, we call them, right? We have an 80 <laughs> townhome project. We whip them into shape where the first couple things, they know that we're going to say all this stuff about the insulation ducts. And then we go through and they have like five houses that are immaculate, beautiful, yeah, right? I yeah. literally take photos of the walls to use in presentations as perfect grade one. And then we come into a house the next week and it's disastrous. And we're like, what are you guys doing? You know, And you want to rely on that supervisor, that GC, to see that before you. But usually they don't. They have too much stuff doing. So you're like, what's happening? Oh, they had a different team in. And now you realize that team that you taught for a month just went to a different site and you'll never see him again. And it's like, right. oh boy, yeah. here we go again, right? Obviously. So that's why I tend to lean on and talk to that supervisor that you you make that one contact, that one person that's typically gonna be talking to the guys below him, the subcontractors, and make sure he understands it and he gets serious about it. So when something happens, like I said, did they seal their boots to sheetrock? So we passed the duct test. They told me they did. And I had to text them back and go, I'm not talking to them, I'm talking to you. Did you see it? I don't trust them. I want to trust you. And we got on a site and it wasn't done. And they failed the duct test, right? And they fell out of sampling and it was really annoying. So it's like, I need to trust you and you need to understand and you need to take responsibility for that and take it seriously. Yeah. And, you know, I think on that note, you know, Joe's got a great point about, you know, the experience of construction teams and the general contractor themselves. We, we definitely see this in New York all the time. We, we do have some repeat builders that are, that are, you know, repeat pass fails project uh, builders, large scale developments. Um, and, you know, it actually isn't even the same team that's working on our current project. Uh, this is say a new project, a new project team, but it's from the same company. And they just heard from the other team, the project that's currently under construction, <laughs> what they need to know about Passive House, what they need to check in their bids to make sure that their subcontractors are built in, you know, 
additional costs for any you know extra sealants or um, you know we were just on a kickoff call a few weeks ago and um, you know they were looking for recommendations to avoid um, you know ventilation balancing issues and you know we explained that the most competitive bid that they're going to review is going to be one that includes some sort of duct leakage testing before they do any aero sealing or any additional sealing and also um, before they close up any walls because that's where they really run up run into issues right mm. they start closing up walls and you know they have to they have to open up walls later on uh, if, if things weren't done correctly so um, you know when when general contractors are reviewing their bids they're really looking for the most responsible bidder and I think you know once they have a good insight into what that means from a passive house and uh, energy perspective they they know what to look for and they they know who they're going to hire because they have either have experience or they, they show yeah. that responsibility in, uh, in the quality of work that they're, they're providing. So I, I think it's a very interesting trickle-down effect from, you know, from one project that's under construction and one project that's just starting construction mm-hmm. and you know, how they communicate between each other, the things that they need to really know uh, and know well um, to, to get the work out of, out of the subcontractors. Yeah, that's an excellent point. I wish, sorry, I wish that there's that communication, that much communication between projects with the same contractor, GC or whatever. We can't even get in the design team, right? We go through a full couple months of what they need to do, what the architect needs to do to get their air barrier right and what extra. And then we have the next project. We're like, oh, it's with these guys again. They should know. And the same 101 issues. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I call him up and I'm like, we just went through this on this other project. Do you know John? John's sitting right behind me in the cubicle. Oh, yeah. my God. Like, please have an internal discussion. Have an internal training. We'll come and have a training so your whole company knows about this stuff. Like, you guys, it's this siloed effect. That's like the communication doesn't happen between people, and it's it's aggravating. So it's good to hear that they called the other site. Oh boy, it, it just doesn't happen all the time. I must say, Joe, that is the first time it's actually happened. I think um, I, I did want to highlight it though as just a great and very simple way that you know uh, teams can avoid. You know these these things tend to turn into change orders and additional costs to the owner at the end of the day. So um, for for project teams that can navigate that better, um, you know I think that's really a, a, a you know. A, level of professionalism that um, I've honestly only seen on some of our New York projects. Change orders, reinspection fees, all that, you'd, you wouldn't believe how much they would save if that internal communication happened or note-taking happened, right? Oh, okay, this is the stuff we haven't been doing well. And you see that contractor on the next project and like, if they know that they're not going to make the same mistakes, it's going to save the owner so much money, but it doesn't happen. Yep, yep. It, at the end of the day, some of some like from my experience and perspective, I think there's a there's almost like an element of like pride to it in a way. Like I'm gonna use an example. So we we have a project in Sri Lanka that um, was certified to the PASFAL standard, and it's a very efficient, uh, you know, super efficient um, and very comfortable, especially for the Sri Lankan climate uh, building. And all of the builders were local builders from Sri Lanka, so it was a definitely a challenge to get. Uh, even just the communication gap between communicating like all of these things in terms of air sealing and efficiency and insulation continuity and all this stuff. But anyway, long story short, there was a period at the start of construction where we went through that inevitable struggle. It was the first time, you know, clearly it was the first time we've ever dealt with this project team and this group of builders um, and convincing them to do it the quality that needed to be done to achieve the level of performance and passive house and, and all that sort of high quality uh, took a bit of growing pains but once the contractor got it they ramped it up a notch 
in a way that was really impressive and inspiring. And it got to a point where like the envelope contractor who the you know the 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 contractor that was responsible for air sealing the walls and insulating, you know, he was all over every other sub on the project saying don't touch my pH wall because <laughs> he was he nice. was proud of his work and and you know and they they spent the effort and and you know it sucks when someone just pokes a hole in your wall <laughs> and that happens more often than not like how many times do you hear like oh like uh like on a more conventional project um where like ductwork was routed a certain way and then like yeah like electrical just had to like run a wire through the duct so mm-hmm. they just decided to, mm-hmm. to the air barrier is right complete through. and then the communications guy comes through and yeah <laughs> exactly you know comcast guy pokes a whole bunch of holes and you're like i thought it was done you're like you should have walked through before i got here yeah, yeah. So I think I think once you can get over that hurdle, I think there is a level of new inertia that's built with with that builder and contractor where they like they take pride in the work. And I think there's that project team that maybe did it two other times, and we are clearly seeing a vast improvement in terms of quality when it's a builder that's done it the, the, on their third project as opposed to the first project. And and there's just that I think that inevitable. Not only understanding of what is required to meet this level of performance, but like just pride and taking and sort of like you know meeting that level of of quality and it's sort of setting the new bar. When you're talking about that quality, sometimes comes down all the way down, not just to the company, but to the person, right? So we have had people where I go and tell the company, this guy should be your lead guy. You should have him on your next project because he takes it seriously, right? He makes it happen. Where I had the same company on the last project and it was pulling teeth to get anything done properly. And you'd tell him the five things he needed to fix and it wasn't done. So it's interesting to hear that value and pride because sometimes in these industries, it really comes down to a single person saying, I know what needs to be done and I'm going to make sure that gets done. And if you have somebody who doesn't care as much, it can be a completely different project. Yeah. And you know, I, I think on that point too, like at the end of the day, we're all people. Most people, maybe not everyone, but most people, I think, will be more willing to listen. And when there's a clear level of respect set and understanding, and I th- like Jenny coming back to your point of not just saying that they're wrong, like asking questions, like you know, how come you've done it this way, or like what's your approach to this, and being constructive about it, but also being understanding. And I know Mike, with from being in, in the field with you, like we are out there to do our job. But I think we we do also bring this level, not lightheartedness, but just, hey, look, we're not here to like comment on anyone's personality or any or like, you know, your work ethic or anything like that. Like, even if it's, you know, cracking a joke here or there or like going out to lunch, you know, if, if they're out for lunch or whatever, and just like connecting on a more personal level, I think there is value to that because I think people are more willing to listen when they can connect on a more personal level than when it's just, you know, Inspector Joe walking in and telling us, you know, we we we're doing everything wrong. Like that's that's never the the sort of effective approach. It feels from from my perspective. I, I think it is definitely that human element where you make that connection. Right, this guy was from a close hometown, and we had some similar interests. And I realized the next time I was on site, he took to heart everything I said and made sure it was done because you just have that subconscious like respect, and he's going to have it done right. Yeah, yeah. it's an interesting concept and perspective. Yeah, you know, at the end of the day, we're, we are all on, on the same team, right? And we're all, you know, working towards the same goals. Um, you know, particularly on the pass-fail side, right? We're driving towards that certification. It's in all of our best interest to get the project certified at the end of the day. Um, 
And, you know, I think to add to that, there's definitely an interpersonal uh, approach to, um, you know, handling situations on site and, and communicating those to, uh, to the, the folks who are, are driving the boat, who are, who are really steering the ship here and, and pushing the project uh, towards its goals. You know, even those, just as you said, Dylan, you know, striking up some conversation, talking about, you know, I don't know, whatever you're doing this weekend or, <laughs> right. you know, are you going, you know, construction people, they love to talk about their next vacation. Um, they really oh, do. I, I thought you were going to say they love to talk about their projects at home. <laughs> they also love to talk about, you're, you're absolutely right, Dylan, they love to talk about what projects they're doing on their personal home, what right. what kind of improvement they're doing, what kind of addition they're adding. Of this. <laughs> all the time I hear, all the time I hear about, oh, you know, we just built this on my house. And <laughs> yeah. So no, just those, those simple, you know, very simple human aspects are, are absolutely critical. And, um, you know, building that relationship because also, you know, at least from my side as an inspector, I can't be on your site every day, so I, I need to have that relationship with you. And also, I you know when we see things that are wrong in the field, we're we're a little bit more lenient. We do allow them to send us photos, uh, so long as it's you know minor things. So I, I need to be able to you know text you and just say, hey, you know so and so, send me send me some corrective photos. I need to see this. Um, and usually they're on top of it and they're quick and they're, they're good about it because, you know, we've built this relationship and we've worked together for, you know, a year or two now and, you know, they, they, they know you. Um, so. Yeah. yeah. That, that's a, I think a fantastic point that like you particularly with, I think from, from our, you know, us for our perspectives, we're working mostly on large scale projects, large scale in quotes being, not single family homes. You know, with a single family home, if there is some quality control inspector or any sort of, you know, someone fulfilling that role, there's a generally, I think, an understanding that that person will be able to see the overwhelming majority of the work. Like, in other words, they're going to see every square footage of air barrier installed. <laughs> Larger scale projects, you don't, like, an inspector is not going to be able to see everything. Just that's just because there's too much stuff, literally. And I think that there is like, it's so, it's like even more important to like have a, a builder team have that understanding to, because they are in many ways the eyes on the project in most cases. Like, and we're inspecting like typical conditions or like unique conditions that apply across the board. But like, um, but yeah, like being able to like trust that we're getting the right photos and, and all that, it's, it's a huge, huge topic. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to Michael, Jenny, Joe, and especially Dylan for taking the lead on this episode and sharing each of your perspectives. Really enjoyed the stories and, and tips from the field. For more info, check out the show notes at swinter.com slash podcast. Building to Beyond is brought to you by Stephen Winter Associates. Our goal is to improve the built environment. If you're on a similar mission, consider checking out our careers page. We currently have over 30 openings across our DC, New York, Connecticut, and Boston offices. If you have good ideas for the episode or suggestions for guests or just general feedback about the Buildings and Beyond podcast, we'd love to hear it. You can get in touch by emailing podcast at swinter.com. That's podcast at swinter.com. Catch you next time.